sermon this afternoon deals with what we confess in Lord's Day 21, and that has to do with the articles in the Apostles' Creed about the church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins. The reading is, first of all, from 1 Kings 8, two passages from a prayer that Solomon offered to the Lord when the temple was finished and dedicated to the Lord. So we start reading in chapter 8 of 1 Kings, verse 22. And then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel. Only if your sons take heed to their way that they walk before me, as you have walked before me. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today, that your eyes may be open toward this temple night and day, toward the place of which you said, My name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. And may your heart, may you hear the supplication of your servant and your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear in heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. And then Solomon gives different scenarios in which the people will pray and ask the Lord then to hear the prayer. We'll start again in verse 46. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy... And they take them captive to the land of the enemy far or near. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those of who took them captive, saying, We have sinned and done wrong. We have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and prayed to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. 
and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you and grant them compassion before those who took them captive that they may have compassion on them for they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt out of the iron furnace that your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant and the supplication of your people Israel to listen to them whenever they call to you for you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your inheritance as you spoke by your servant Moses when you brought your our fathers out of Egypt O Lord God thus far from first Kings we turn now to Psalm 27. And the sermon this afternoon will pay particular attention to verse 4, 5, and 6. We'll read a psalm in its entirety. And note how the psalm has contrasts, the contrast between trust and confidence and deep need. And as the psalm deals with the confidence and the need, in between we find the reference to the temple and the house of the Lord. Psalm 27, the psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing. I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in His temple, for in the time of trouble He shall hide me in His pavilion, in the secret place of His tabernacle He shall hide me, He shall set me high upon a rock. And how my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart 
unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Let's turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism, to Lord's Day 21, where we continue the explanation of the Apostles' Creed, Lord's Day 21. First question, what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for Himself, by His Spirit and Word, in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, all and everyone, as members of Christ, have communion with Him and share in all His treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use His gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature, against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never come into condemnation. Thus far our confession. Our psalm of response for the proclamation of the word is Psalm 27, the stanzas 2, 3, and 6. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is my privilege to proclaim to you this afternoon God's Word, and I use the words of Psalm 27, verse 4, as the theme for the sermon this afternoon. One thing I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So one thing we seek after, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of of our life. We are dealing with the Apostles' Creed and have come to the article that deals with the church. I believe one holy Catholic, apostolic, Christian church that's connected to the communion of saints, that is the church, and the forgiveness of sins. So that means that what we have in focus this afternoon is the question, who, who are we? What is the church? What is the congregation? 
And then we want to make it also specific and apply and say, what is this congregation all about? Who are we? Now, if you were to ask the people that live in, around you and do not go to church, if you would ask them, well, what is the church? It would be interesting to compare the answers. What, what do they think about people coming together twice on a Sunday and worshiping here? That's fine if you want to do that. It's not for me, some may say. Or I can understand that you want some connection with people, social uh, interaction with others. I have it too, but i rather go to my sports club and have it there or in other ways. So they, they look at a church as something that is free for you to do if you want to do it. It's fine if you want to do it. It, it satisfies perhaps your interests, your desires, your social need. It doesn't have to be for me. I think that reflects a lot of reactions. You may also have it, though, that they look at us with more animosity. Not just in the sense that, well, the church is an outdated institution, but animosity because of the truth of God's law that we stand for. And that they would look at a church as opposing these necessary changes in our society. That a Christian is a danger to the world in which we live and to its development of values and what it wants to affirm. Because the Christian says... And the church says, this is what God says. This is what the Bible teaches. So you'll notice an increase in animosity. So that, that makes it even more important for us to look at this question, well, how do we then look at the church? What is a church? How do we speak about it? How do we live in it? And that is why it is wonderful that we have on a regular basis going, that we go through the Apostles' Creed and, and we have to look at this and, and be taught by it. The, the confession also has a function of time and again honing our thinking, our terminology. Say, so this is what you need to do or think about it. The confession is not, well, this is what we have all agreed upon. And it's fine. No, the confession is also instruction. This is what we need to think. This is what we must believe. I believe a holy Catholic Christian church. You believe that. I believe that. Now, believing means you know that and you hold this because it is what the Scripture teaches so we're not interested here in experiences in the sense that uh, I would like to share how you feel your place in this congregation. Whether you feel you are received well or not so well. 
We're not interested in how you think other people should deal with you. Not that these things are not important. That when you say, I believe, you say, this is what the Bible teaches. This is what God has revealed about this congregation. And this is what we have summarized in Lord's Day 21. In the Apostles' Creed, of course, and this is explained in Lord's Day 21. So if I go through this Lord's Day, I just want to point out a couple elements that are important for us as we think about this, as we want to be taught by this. For example, when we ask the question, what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? The answer begins with pointing to the Son of God. The Son of God gathers, defends, and preserves. And he does it out of the whole human race. And he does it from beginning to the end. It's the Son of God. So as you look around here, and you see others sitting with you here in this building, you have the visible proof that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You wouldn't be here as his people if it was not his work. So the very fact that we gather is a proof that he is living and active. The church is not my work, my project. It is the work of the Son of God. And he does it, it says, for himself. He gathers, defends, and preserves for himself. The church doesn't exist for me. Although I do gain so much by being part of it. But the church exists for Christ. And it is not that the church has to serve what I think I need in a consumer mentality. But we are here in order to bring glory to our Savior. He has brought you here this afternoon and he brings you together every Sunday so that the glory goes to him. That's what he wants to hear, what he wants to see. And yes, that is something that is happening right at this moment. Because notice that the answer speaks in the present tense. It's true, he has been gathering from the beginning of the world to the end, and he will continue to do so. But the answer speaks about right now, at this very moment, he gathers, defends, and preserves. The exalted Lord is doing it right now, here, with you, present. And what a beautiful terms, that he brings you together, that he defends you, that he preserves you in the faith. What a care of the shepherd for the sheep. And he does it in a very simple way by the Spirit and the Word in that we are united in the true faith. There's nothing secret happening here. What binds us together, what brings us together, what keeps us together is that we all together say, I believe the true faith. That is what we have together. It doesn't matter what 
position you have in life, what age you are, what color your skin is, what binds us together, what holds us together, is that we have this one faith that we confess. As we sang it this afternoon, too. And so what, what do I need to do? I have to be a living member. That's what my calling is now. So that I become like Paul in, in, in the letter to the Ephesians speaks about that building with these stones and where stones are living, they can move. So I have to be a stone that is active and living and is built upon that foundation so that it becomes a house in which God dwells by the Spirit to be a living member. And that requires that we have a living bond with Christ, that is the communion of saints, that we share in Him, that we have everything from Him, and that is the way the Bible speaks about the head and the body, that the head belongs to the body, and the body draws, draws all its strength and so on from its head. We have all our treasures and gifts in our fellowship with Christ. But these treasures and gifts are given to us so that we share them with one another, willingly and cheerfully. It speaks about the other members that have to benefit from what I receive from the, he the head. That means the other members in the body. And how can all that function in a broken world because what we're doing here is not make some kind of an idealist picture, a utopia. This is reality. And how is that possible? Because of the greatest gift that we receive in our Savior, and that is the forgiveness of sins. I said what binds us together is the unity of the true faith. But that also means that what makes it possible for us to be one is that we all have to ask for forgiveness. For forgiveness of our actual sins, for our, the sins that we have inherited, our sinful nature. All of us. And that is what a church is all about. To live from the gift of forgiveness, the gift of grace. So there you have what the Lord's 21 says is what the Bible teaches about a church. The work of God, by His Word, binding us to Him and to one another, making us come alive. Now, when you go to, from the catechism to the Scriptures, and if you want to say, okay, where, where can I find this in the Bible? Well, there are many, many instances, many connections if you think just only of the term congregation, that we are a congregation, how many times is that word mentioned in the Bible? 136 times. And of those 136, only four in the New Testament and 132 in the Old Testament. Because the congregation is the gathering of God's people. 
as they are coming together, as the Lord delivered them out of Egypt, led them through the wilderness into the promised land, as he watched over them, gathered them, defended them, preserved them. And then you see how the Bible speaks about the church. There are also other ways in which you see the connection with Old Testament and New Testament. And it's when you, when you pay attention to the temple and to the city and the house of God. And that is why this afternoon I chose Psalm 27 as a psalm that will help us also to deal with what we confess here, Psalm 27. So we'll look at some more detail at this psalm and then come back later on again to what we have in Lord's Day 21. I introduced the reading of Psalm 27 by saying it's a psalm where there is, are some contrasts. It, quite a remarkable structure, this psalm. Because on the one hand, as we read through it, I hope you noticed that, that there was deep, deep confidence. Of whom shall I be afraid? They all may stumble, my enemies and my foes but they won't succeed. And later on in the end, verse 13, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Be of good courage. The Lord shall be my strength. So David expresses his deep trust in the Lord. At the other hand, you also have in this psalm a cry for help. Hear, O Lord, for seven, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. He speaks about the difficulties that he has. He asks, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn away me. Do not turn me away in your anger. Do not forsake me. He, he feels alone even to the point where his father and his mother are no longer there to support him. So on the one hand, this strong conviction of God's help. On the other hand, this feeling of being utterly lonely. Some even believe that or suggest that actually it's two psalms that have been put together as one because they're so different in tone. But that is not true. This is inspired by the Spirit Himself. Because in between all of this, you have these verses about the temple. Verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that's what I will seek. I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And then in verse 5, he explains that. Because in a time of trouble, He will hide me in His tent, in His pavilion, in that secret place he will set me high upon a rock. And that's significant. Between this, this cry for help and this expression of trust, we, found, we find his desire to be in the temple and to sing praises there and to offer sacrifices for six. For that is the key to understanding how he from anxiety comes to confidence. Let's have a look at verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that I will seek. It's passionate. He says, my whole aim, my focus is this. 
to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. The more Psalms where this is expressed, you can think of Psalm 42, the psalm that begins with the deer, a comparison to the deer, a panting. So I also long to be in the temple again. You can think of Psalm 63 where the poet is in the wilderness and is surrounded by the wilderness and the desert and longs to be again in the house here as well. Here's this passion. I desire to be and I seek after it to dwell in the house of the Lord. Why does he say this? Because he's away from the house of the Lord. Somehow David is not able to be part there of the worship with the others. What are the reasons? We don't know. He speaks about enemies all around him. And we know of David's life. Uh, because of his enemies, he had to flee. And he could not come to the tabernacle. He's away. That can happen. That you are not able to come and worship with God's people. And what is it that troubles him? What is it that troubles him? That he misses his friends? That he misses his family? No, he misses being and being able to go to the house of the Lord. I hope that we all recognize this feeling. It can be times that we cannot come, that we prevented from coming. But there is a desire, that, that longing, to be. And he, he says, I, that's what I desire. And he says, I, I seek after to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So not just a passing guest, a temporary visit. He says, I want to dwell there all the days of my life. I want to make it my home. Of course, David doesn't mean that he's going to take up his bed and all his belongings and set up his bed and set up his living quarters in the temple. What he means is saying, I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He says, I want to make that everything in my life and I want to be there permanently. And why? Why does he want to be there permanently? Look at verse 4 at the end. To behold the beauty of the Lord. What motivates his desire? To behold the beauty of the Lord. That's amazing. What does that mean? To behold the beauty of the Lord. Now, beholding means you see. In the Old Testament, there were a lot of visual things, weren't there? And if you think of the temple or the tabernacle, there were also many visual things. And he wants to see them. Well, what would you see when you came to the tabernacle, you would see sacrifices, blood being poured out, smoke going up. You also see beautiful 
fabrics and woven in the fabrics cherubim. You would see the priest doing their duty, bringing the coals into the holy place and coming back again. When he says, I want to behold the beauty of the Lord, then he refers to all that is happening in the temple, and he calls that the beauty of the Lord. What you see there is how wonderfully God deals with his people, his mercy, his love, through that shedding of blood, through the intercession that takes place, through the blessing that comes back, the Lord bless you and keep you and turn his face toward you. That is the beauty of the Lord. That the Lord in his love is willing to forgive sin and again look at you and send you away saying, I will continue to look at you. Go in peace. And David says, that is the joy of my life, to receive that. And to inquire in his temple, to have that, that fellowship, that communication with my God through all of this. What an amazing gift, brothers and sisters. That our relationship with God is not a relationship where you go through motions, rituals, and you hope it goes okay. But that the relationship that we have with our God is one in which He talks to you and you can talk to Him. Where there is communication. Isn't that what the worship service also reflects? He talking to you, you talking to Him. He bringing His word, you calling upon His name. That is the beauty of the Lord, that he makes it possible. That is David's strength. That is why he is so desirous for this, because God will hide him in the day of trouble, verse 5. And in that secret place of his tabernacle where he has his throne and where that blood is sprinkled, he will help me. Now, there's something interesting here in verse 5, if you look at the end of verse 5, when he says, he shall set me upon a rock, the rock of refuge, and he, David connects that to the temple or the tabernacle. In David's life... The temple wasn't really there yet. He made psalms also for when the temple was going to be made by his son Solomon. And we read about uh, Solomon's prayer in 1 Kings 8. Under Solomon, the building was made with, with wood and gold and beautiful, beautifully made. But in the days of, of David, it was just a tent. It was a tent. Tabernacle means tent. It's not a very strong structure, a tent. It's certainly not a permanent structure. And yet David says, that tent, it is my 
permanent dwelling place, and it is to me like a rock. How secure it is. That's how secure it is. So that means the tent is to David as strong as a temple built by Solomon, as secure as a rock. Now, why is that important? That tells us that David's confidence is not based on the structure itself. It was only a tent. But his confidence comes from what happens inside of it. Where the glory of God and the beauty of the Lord are present. That gives this place strength. The presence of God. Now you may think or maybe even say to David, well, David, are you not overdoing it here? Yes, I know you cannot make it to the tabernacle. That is difficult. That is hard. But no matter where you are, the Lord is with you, isn't he? It's not a building, the tabernacle that does it. So why do you get so focused on this? And it's true. David indeed, sings about the presence of the Lord wherever he is. Think of Psalm 3 when he's fleeing for Absalom and he has to go to sleep and he says, the Lord is with me. You are my shield. I can lay down. I can sleep. So yes, he knows that, that you cannot contain God to a structure and that as children also of the Lord you know that no matter where you are, the Lord is with you with his spirit present, and yet the tabernacle is special. Why? Because that is the place that the Lord has ordained so that there the sacrifices can be brought, the blood can be poured out, and the blessing can be given. This is the way in which the Lord in his wisdom decided to meet with his people. Oh yes, he surrounds his people, he carries his people. But he says, I want to meet you, talk to you. And that happens there in the tabernacle. And so by talking to you and you to me, our relationship is strengthened, is deepened. And David says, I need that. And brothers and sisters, we need that. And that's why David is so passionate. This is what I desire. He says, this is what I seek. I want to be there. And that desire can only be explained when you understand the awareness of how God, in his wisdom, has determined to work in us and with us. Namely, through outward means. It is by that word that is preached that he works in us and that we may respond to him. Yes, every day the Lord is with us. He surrounds you. He knows where you're going on the road, when you sleep. But he wants you to be here because he wants to have this fellowship 
and instill in you his wonders through his word. And that brings us back to our confession. Lord 21 is not just a statement, I said. It is a teaching. And just like Psalm 27 also is given by David, not just as a statement of, look how well I did and what I did. Lord's Day 20, uh, Psalm 27 is also a lesson. The Psalms are also instructive. As you sing them, you're also being taught, this is what I should be thinking or doing or desiring. I asked the question at the beginning, what is the congregation? Well, Psalm 27 answers that question. It is the work of the Lord. His beauty. So that we together, he can gaze or behold that beauty. No, we're no longer seeing cherubim, blood. We hear the word, the proclamation of the gospel, that when you, that your sins are forgiven through the death of Jesus Christ, that you have to believe in him. And that is what we may desire. He's present here. He's with us this afternoon and this morning and whenever we come together under the leadership of his appointed servants to, to bless you, to hear you, to receive from you your, your gifts, your praise, your confession. He, he helps you with the signs of the sacraments. That's the protection that we need, the shelter. And so he refreshes us and he nourishes us for the week to come. Yes, for eternal life. So he equips you for the task ahead. We need it. We need it. And that is, brothers and sisters, also why we need to be well aware of the attacks of the evil one. Because we know that the gates of hell will not overpower the church of Jesus Christ. The Lord said that. But we also see, and history tells us the same thing as well, that the evil one will do his utmost trying to destroy this temple, this security. And one way in which he can do that is by trying to separate Christ from the church by saying you don't need the church you can be on your own you can have your own relationship with Christ wonderful but you don't need a church for that if you look at answer 55 when we talk about the communion of saints notice that we there say well it is two relations. It is one with Christ above and the other is with the other members. If you separate Christ from the church and you separate the head from the body and you end up with nothing. 
We need Christ, yes. That's why you need the church. For that is the place where he gives to you his salvation. You love Christ, don't you? Well, then you love his church too. Because how can you love the head and not the body? You long for Christ, don't you? Well, then you also long to be part here of his work and to be a living member of his congregation. And Christ is the center of your life. You desire to serve him, to love him, to seek him. Well, then you also want to say with David, I seek to dwell in his house. The passion. The passion because of the beauty of the Lord. I said earlier that Psalm 27 has a contrast. You have on the one hand this confidence and on the other hand is anxiety worry and I said they're connected in this way that from his struggles he comes to express his deep trust but that happens through being reminded what happens in the temple that's why he wants to be there he needs that in order to go from his difficulties and his trials to his confidence. So, and that is the lesson of Psalm 27 too. Brothers and sisters, as you deal with your struggles, how does the Lord help you to come to this confidence that you say, I need not fear by what he gives to you in his church? through the administration of the word by the office bearers and being part of the communion of saints and being reminded of the forgiveness of sins. That is the beauty of the Lord. And that is the source of our trust and that is what helps us deal with the challenges of this life and to move on again. So, brothers and sisters, let it be indeed also in our lives this passion, this desire that we do our utmost to, to be here, to be with it and part of it, rather than finding excuses to stay away or to watch in the comfort of our own home on the couch. We'll be singing Psalm 27. We sang part of it already. We'll sing after the sermon in a moment. Think about what you sing. And let us live according to it. And let us pray that the Lord will work in our hearts that desire because we belong to Jesus Christ. We belong to this head. We receive in him all these gifts and we want to share them willingly, readily for the other members. And in that way, he equips you for the task ahead, for the road ahead. You believe one holy Catholic Christian church. 
So therefore, desire to dwell in the house of the Lord always. Amen.